the title of this message is uh, A Love Story Gone Wrong. Uh, this month is Hot Topics. And I believe that there is no hotter topic than marriage, which has to do with love, pleasure, intimacy, sex, kids, more sex, more kids, more sex, and no kids. Bills, deceit, hate, arguments, blame game, adultery, violence, separation, divorce, suicide, murder, and death. To only name a few. Has anyone experienced a love story gone right? Raise your hand if you have. I've experienced a love story gone right for almost 45 years, or you would say 46 years if I count the time that we weren't married, because I fell in love with her before we got married, of course. I think Frank and Maxine are going on 60 years married? Oh, 50, okay. I thought, uh, I thought I was older than Frank, but when he said he was 69, uh, you're a little older than I am, Frank. Not much, but still. Okay, today I will be speaking on a story, on a love story gone wrong. That our love story gone right will continue. Uh, you could turn to uh, Genesis 2. I'll be uh, speaking out of Genesis 2, and chapter 2 and 3. <clears throat> Give you a few seconds to get to it. Okay, in order to have a good marriage, we have to have a good foundation. A marriage could start off in heaven, but end up in hell. Love could start off with the sweetness of a cherry, but end up tasting like sour grapes. We lose the love we have for one another. We lose love because we fail to realize that love is not an emotion, but love is an exercise that one needs to labor in if love is to continue and grow. Or you have, could have a seat. <laughs> a love is an exercise of the will, and as we will to love, our love blooms into delight, pleasure, and romance. Without pleasure, delight, and romance, there is no marriage. So let us look at a love story gone wrong so that our love story may go right. Okay, this love story gone wrong is found in Genesis 2.15 through uh, chapter 3. This is a simple story, yet in this simple story with a simple talk, every person has had to bear the consequences of this story. It is a story where man sees himself superior to woman, just like many do today. Where man, where man sees woman who has to be controlled by her husband, just like many today. Life and death is the subject of this story. Life in this story means unity, fulfillment, harmony, and delight, as Adam and Eve enjoy each other. Wives, tell your husbands, let's enjoy each other. Wives, tell your husbands, let's enjoy each other. Death in this story is the loss of unity, 
harmony in life. It means separation, hostility. It means uh, problems, opposition, where joy turns into tragedy. It means death to a marriage. And death always leaves a trail of wounds, pain, and isolation. In this love story, life loses to death. This story has three scenes. The first theme has to do with life and love. The second scene has to do with disobedience. And the third scene has to do with a love story gone wrong and death. In, two, in uh, chapter 2, verse 7, life begins with the creation of man. Here we see God planting a garden in Eden. Here God makes a place of delight, a place of pleasure. The word Eden sounds like another word in Hebrew, meaning enjoyment. Here we see God finding enjoyment, finding pleasure in creation of life. So to God, this creation process is erotic, since God is delighting and taking pleasure in making man. Also, this creature, this man, is not identified sexually. In other words, Adam so far is neither man nor woman, because his sexuality will only appear when woman is created. So far, Adam is only a human being, meaning that Adam does not know how his body is supposed to function without a woman. The woman will teach the man how his, function, how his body should function. Here in the garden, man does not create pleasure. He is given pleasure by God. Human life with all its pleasure is a gift to us. A wife is God's gift to us. Wives tell your husband, I is a gift. But man has turned, but man has turned God's gift into immorality. Man has distorted God's gift. In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall die. Here we see that there is a boundary that man cannot cross, because the day he crosses that boundary, he shall die. There are boundaries in our lives that we cannot cross, lest we die. At this point, Adam can delight in what God has made through his senses of smelling, seeing, and tasting. And when God speaks to Adam, his senses are almost in full bloom with his hearing. His fifth sense of feeling will only appear when woman appears. At first, Adam was passive. But as his senses come alive, Adam comes alive. Wives, tell your husband, I is the one that made you feel. In Genesis 2, 18 to 20, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called them, every, every living creature, that was his name. The man gave uh, names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. Here it says that man did not find a companion corresponding to him. 
Corresponding means to be similar, equal in harmony or in proportion. Here God realizes that these animals are made out of the same dust, the same dust that man is made out of and does not fulfill his life. Things that are created from the dust does not fulfill life because they are made out of the same dust that man is made out of. God has to make something for Adam that is a little closer to his heart. God has to make a companion corresponding to him. Many translations use the word helper in 2.18, but this word is misleading because the word helper suggests or implies a person who is an assistant or someone who is subordinate or even inferior to the other person. But this same word, helper, is used for God who creates and saves Israel as in Exodus 18, 2-4 says. Don't turn to it, I'll read it. Here Moses says, the God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. There are many passages that use the word helper for God. So helper does not mean that God or Eve is subordinate or inferior. In this story, it means companion, someone who is equal to him, someone corresponding to him, someone who could share his feelings and share his joy. What Adam needed was not someone who was subordinate to him like the animals, though that's the way many men treat women. What Adam needed was someone who could take his isolation away, someone who could take away that feeling of being himself through someone who could identify with him. Yet having her own identity, wives tell your husbands, I do have my own identity. And even though Adam had power and authority over the earth and animals, this could not satisfy his isolation or loneliness. Adam at this point realized that power and authority doesn't bring happiness. Wives tell your husband, being macho don't bring happiness. Adam realized that things, that things don't bring happiness. That's why a person can't find happiness and a prostitute because we make her into a thing and we can't have an intimate relationship with a thing. Again, wife tells your husband, I is no thing. In 2, 21, 24, it says, so the Lord God caused a deep, deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up his place, place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man, this one was taken. Here we read that God put Adam to sleep and took one of his ribs and made a woman and gave it to Adam. In this story, Adam had power over everything that came over the earth. By naming the animals, Adam had power to give them their existence. Because without a name, nothing exists. That's why we have a name, because without an identity, we don't exist. We are John or Jane Doe. We see that when God created woman, she did not come out of the earth like Adam and the animals did. She came out of the body of flesh, out of the flesh of Adam. In the creation of woman, Adam functions exactly like the earth did. Adam was created from the earth, and woman was created from Adam. When God made everything, including Adam, 
God made them out of the earth. They were created from the same substance, from dirt or earth. But when God created woman, when God makes that special one for Adam as a companion, God made her out of flesh and bones, not from the earth or dirt. Wives, tell your husband, I isn't made out of dirt like you. Because, because, because only if God makes woman out of man can she fulfill his desires and break his isolation and loneliness. Nothing that is created from the earth could break his isolation. Wives, tell your husband, I is the one that breaks your isolation. A woman who was created from raw material, flesh and bones, and not from the earth, is a special and unique creation. Wives, tell your husbands, I is special. See, we men, we men see a woman, when we, when we men see a woman, something comes alive in us. The reason we feel like this is because she is from our flesh and bones, and our flesh and bones won't rest until both meet together intimacy. Just like those bones in Ezekiel started rattling, our bones start rattling when we see a woman. You see, when I see a dog or a goat, I don't get excited, except with my dog, Peanut. Why? Because animals are not, animals are not, because, why? Because animals are not made for me. Animals are made from the same substance I am made out of, and that's dirt. But woman, she is made out of me, so all my feelings go out to her. We see in uh, 2.23 that when God brings her to Adam, Adam senses that she has come from him. Adam says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. When Adam says this, he is speaking about the woman. This is the first time in the story that Adam identifies himself as a male. His, uh, his sexuality only came into existence as he seen the woman. It is only when woman appears on the scene that Adam is turned into a man. It is only in intimacy with the woman that Adam became a male. It is only when Adam saw the woman that all his senses came alive that he never knew he had. Us men know all about this. God created Adam. God created Adam, but it was woman that made him alive. Wives, tell your husbands, God created you, but, it, but I is the one that made you alive. It was only at that moment that Adam could identify her as woman and identify himself as male. That's why my wife excites me. I come alive when I see her. She makes me aware that I am a man. So even though Adam was created first with no sexuality, male and female were created at the same time when man seen woman. Both now knew their identity, their sexuality. Uh, and also, the words bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh speak of unity, of solidarity, and equality. 
because his sexuality depends upon her, even as her sexuality depends upon him. Also, when Adam said, this shall be called woman, he was not naming her as he named the animals. By calling her woman, Adam is rejoicing over her because of her equality and their mutuality. An animal is the opposite of me. We're totally different, except for my dog, Peanut. <laughs> but my wife is not my opposite. She is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She is me. That's why my flesh and my bones will not rest until her flesh and my bones come together. That's why your flesh gets excited when you see your wife. Because she is flesh of your flesh and bones of your bones. She is you. Wives, tell your husbands, do your bones still rattle when you see me? Adam knew. Adam knew she was different than him. Also, just because woman is taken out, of, out from man doesn't make her subordinate to man. Because if this was the case, man would be subordinate to earth since man was taken or man was made from earth. But we see the opposite. Adam is given power over the earth even if he is taken from the earth. In this story, God put Adams to sleep. Her arrival is going to be a suspense and a surprise. And when God does surprises, all that could come is pleasure and delight. Husbands, tell your wife, you is my pleasure and my delight. In 2.24, it says, Therefore a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Here we see the woman standing alone and the man standing with his parents. It is her that the man comes to and leaves his parents. In weddings, we have the reverse. We have the bride going to the groom, leaving her parents. But here we have the man going to the woman or the groom, leaving his parents. This tells us that it was man that created how weddings should be conducted so he could control her. In this passage, it is Adam that moves toward her. He is the one that puts himself in motion toward her. And ever since Adam made that first move toward woman, man has been in motion ever since. We haven't stopped moving toward her. Women, woman is a gift. It's God's gift to Adam. And her arrival has changed Adam into a sexual being who won't rest until they become one. Wives, tell your husbands, I is the one that changed you into a sexual being. God created us with strong sexual desires toward woman. And if God created us like this, then they can't be wrong. They only become wrong when our desires disrespect the dig dignity of a woman's body. A woman's body is not an item to be used. Wives, tell your uh, husbands, I is no item. So from one body came two people. Through in intimacy, they became one body again. And when that happens, God's purpose is complete. Husbands, tell your wives, we is complete. In this story, we see that against life stands death. 
and the movement from life to death is disobedience. In 3.1, we see the serpent talking to the woman. And the serpent knows that since the two are one flesh, to capture her is to capture him. See, the devil doesn't have to go after both husband and wife. Only one to create that split, to bring death to a marriage. I'm going to pass over, uh, over parts of this love story because of time. The story tells us they were both, that they both ate. Before disobedience, they were both naked but not ashamed. But now they're still naked but ashamed. Instead of enjoying their nakedness, now they hide their nakedness. The harmony that they had is now destroyed. Now that love story gone wrong becomes a burden. Husbands, tell your wives, no, no, I don't want that. In 3, 9 to 10, the first question God asks Adam is, where are you? And Adam replies, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And in verse 11, God responds to Adam by saying, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And in verse 12, Adam begins to give a rational explanation for his disobedience. Adam says, and let me emphasize this verse here in a few words. Let me emphasize, Adam says, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Now that gift that God gave to Adam to enjoy and take pleasure in, Adam blames. Wives, tell your husbands, don't blame me. Beginning with Adam, we always try to ra find a rational answer for our disobedience. Why we can't get along with our spouse. In our time, we shorten the answer to, to, to one word, incompatible. In uh, verse 3, verse 12, first, Adam betrays a woman. At first, she was one flesh with him. Now she is the woman. Second, he blames God. And finally, he confesses with the words, and I ate. Now, instead of Adam being one flesh and one bone with the woman, that flesh has sagged and that bone has withered. That harming and unity is shattered. Now the man turns against the woman who was earlier had said, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In 3.13, God now speaks to the woman. God says to her, what is this that you have done? Then the woman says, the serpent tricked me and I ate. Science doesn't have to tell us that women speak more than men. Pastor Greg being the exception. Here in this passage, we see the opposite. The man speaks more than the woman. Here we see that the man speaks more than the woman because the man in verse 12 speaks 19 words in defense for his disobedience. But the woman in verse 13 only speaks seven words in her defense. This tells us that when men get in trouble, they speak more than women. We, uh, 
see in this passage that the woman does not blame God as Adam did. She doesn't say the serpent that you made. Adam blamed God by saying the woman that you gave me. Second, she doesn't get Adam involved in her disobedience. All she says is the serpent deceived me and I ate. Unlike Adam, she takes the blame. Thirdly, amen, the women said amen. <laughs> Thirdly, the woman confesses more quickly than Adam. She wants to resolve the problem. With the answer Adam gave to God, he not only betrays his woman, but he also creates opposition and hostility between him and his woman. The woman in her answer, the woman in her answer separates herself from Adam, but Adam implicates the woman and blames the woman. Wives, tell your husband, man up. Don't blame me. In 3.16, in 3.16, the, wor the words God says to woman, your man shall be your desire, takes us back to when the man hangs on to his woman and they became one flesh. But now we see a split between man and woman. And even though the woman will still desire the man, the man will now rule over her. Instead of being equal as in the beginning, now there is hierarchy, superiority, and division. With the man dominating the woman, sexuality and intimacy is perverted. Instead of the woman being a companion and equal, now she is a prostitute. Her value is diminished. That's how pornography was created. The woman is corrupted and becoming a slave and the man is corrupted and becoming a master. Subordination in women was not God's purpose in the beginning. Wives, tell your husbands. Did you hear that? God's purpose was to have our wife as our companion, as our equal, not as slaves. When my wife is my equal, then I have to respect her decisions. At times, I have to submit to her decisions and she submits to mine. Wives, here, I'll let you decide what to tell your husband. <laughs> In 320, it says, the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Here, just as Adam named the animals in chapter 2, now he also names his woman. Here we see Adam reducing the status and position of the woman to that of an animal by giving her a name. Why? Tell your husband, I is no animal. Ma, by naming her Eve, now he holds power over her as he did the animals. The woman who had no identity as a mother now is assigned a role of a mother. And even though the words, the mother of all living, should be a title of honor in this story, they become a position of inferiority and subordination. Wives, tell your husband, I is an inferior. In this story, we've seen that life has lost to death, that harmony has turned into hostility, and that unity has been broken and split. Here we see a love story gone wrong. At the beginning, we see the man running toward his woman and holding on to her. But now we see him letting go that she may serve him. What could have been a love story gone right 
has become a love story gone wrong. Husbands, tell your wife, our love story is going to go right. See, God's purpose for man and woman was for companionship and equality, not for the role of master and slave. Wives, tell your husbands, did you hear what that preacher said? God made woman that we may hold on to her. But instead of holding on to her, we want to let her go and find another woman to hold on to. Husbands, tell your wives, I'm holding on to you, girl. See, God wants our marriage to be a love story gone right, not a love story gone wrong. I don't want a slave for my wife. I want a companion I could hold on to. I want a companion that I could share my dreams with and she could share her dreams. I need a companion so when I make the so that when I can make the right decisions, I could go to her for advice. I want a companion so I could speak tender words to her heart. I need a companion so I could wipe so I could wipe my tears with her tender hands when I'm in pain. I need a companion I could cook for, make breakfast for. My wife needs a companion so I could kiss her tears away when she's in pain. I need a companion, not a slave. Husbands, tell your wives, I doesn't need a slave. At this point, the choir could come up. So let's make our wife into a companion as God intended her to be. And when we do that, we're going to find ourselves in the Garden of Eden once again, running after our woman naked and holding on to her without shame. And I guarantee you, once we, once we treat our wife as an equal, as our partner, as our companion, and not as someone who needs to submit to us, problem-solving, decision-making will be much easier. So wives, say to your husbands, Honey, I is equal. And husbands, say to your wife, baby, I is your companion. And let me give you another guarantee, husbands. When you make your wife your equal, your companion, every time the sun sets, there will be pleasure, delight, and romance. You will find yourself in the garden once again, picking lilies once again. You will feel your bones taking on flesh and rattling and coming to life. I'll finish by asking the married couples to come to the altar, if you can. Married couples to the altar. Uh, I know my wife can't come up here, so I'm going to go to her. I'm going to go... Oh, let me take give me a note. <laughs> I forget what I'm gonna say. You guys, I really appreciate what Paul is saying, but we are a work in progress, just like everybody else is. We have nobody has reached that perfection that we want to. We're working towards it. We're striving towards it. But we're all a work in progress, including us, okay? Yeah, I got a long ways to go. Okay. So, uh, husbands, tell your wife, you is my flesh, you is my flesh and my flesh, and I am holding on to you. 
Wives, tell your husband, you is my bone. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I was holding on to you. Now kiss your wife erotically. Erotically. The rest you can finish at home. All right, hold on. Stay right here, married couples. Stay right here, married couples. Come on. Everybody stand with me. If, uh, if you're married, even if your spouse is not here, come on up here anyways. Come on, we're going to pray for all the men.